Thank you. You can have a seat. Aren't you excited to be here this morning? This is a special weekend for us because this isn't just a normal service. This is a watermark weekend, so you're getting ready to see something very special. Several individuals are getting ready to go public before you with their faith in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, across this entire weekend, um, and, and this is not even counting the awesome Kids World watermark that we had uh, a couple nights ago, just in this weekend, we're having over 70 individuals going public with their faith in Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? So really quickly, uh, this may be a familiar thing for you. If it's not, just really quickly, what you're getting ready to see is each of these individuals is going to go into the baptismal pool. You're going to see them, Lord, beneath the water, coming back out of the water. And very simply, it's just an illustration. They're, they're showing an outward sign of something that has already happened on the inside of them. See, they've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ in their heart. Now they're showing you through this outward illustration that Jesus uh, as a part of their lives. And, and there's two things that they're illustrating when they go beneath the water and come back out. First of all, they're identifying with Jesus Christ, who the Bible says was crucified and was buried, and then on the third day rose again from the grave on his own power. We serve a living Savior. But, but beyond that, they're showing that the old person that they used to be is gone and that Jesus has placed something brand new and living uh, in their heart, which is a, an incredibly exciting thing. Let me tell you something. It, it is a big deal to get in front of a huge group of people and to say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not afraid to let anybody know I belong to him and I want the world to know that. So would you do me a favor in helping encourage all those who are doing this? Would you celebrate with them as they go public with their faith? Hi, I'm Alicia Alfaro. Uh, I realized that I was a sinner when I was in high school. I, uh, I knew that I wasn't living my life the way God wanted me to. And uh, when... I was in, uh, taking a class at college. One of my uh, instructors started talking about Jesus' miracles. I was taking a New Testament class, and I asked him uh, if he believed um, those things happened. And he said, yes, I choose to believe that. And that kind of planted the seed for me. And um, shortly after, I, I prayed the prayer with Mark and accepted Jesus. And I want to be, um, be baptized because I want to show um, I want to really be a personal testimony for the people who may be um, like me, who feel like they're not, they weren't worthy, or um, that they might have that shame or guilt keeping them from accepting Christ and from growing in faith. And 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 I get to uh, experience His His grace now, and that's that's really what what changes everything for me. Well, it's my joy to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hello, I'm Julie Light. I was saved sometime either in seventh or eighth grade. Um, I started going to church with uh, a friend of mine that I had been friends with since third grade. About three years ago, I had some trouble in my life and I had no one to turn to and I had no control over it. I had no one else to rely on or to trust in except for God. And if it wasn't for my good friend Tracy, my spiritual mentor, I don't, I don't know how I would have known to, to trust in Him fully, and I did, to get, to get me through it. I want to be baptized because I'm ready to tell the world that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I trust in Him fully. Based on your public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ, it's my joy to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Antonio Rambaru, and um, I guess I found out when I was a sinner, um, I was incarcerated as a teenager. I decided to go to the, the service that they held on Sundays, and uh, the, the, what the pastor was saying really spoke to me about forgiveness and that um, no matter what I did, uh, Jesus still loved me. And I know I'd done some pretty bad things um, that I, I really felt sorry for. That's the day that I accepted Christ as my Savior, my personal Savior. You know, I've never felt a better feeling um, up to that point in my life, it just felt so good to, to have that relief to know that Christ loved me even though I'd done the things that I felt so bad about. I feel like I want to be baptized because um, when I, after I accepted Christ as my Savior, my family was Catholic, um, so I, I started following the Catholic religion. I never really felt comfortable. Um, I felt like I was religious, but I didn't feel comfortable like I had a relationship. Um, since coming to New Spring, 
Um, I found a new relationship and it feels really good. It's more than just, you know, um, a religion. It's, it's a relationship with God. Because you want to follow Jesus and you put your faith and trust in Him, it's my joy to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Yes, I have. And you want to follow Him in baptism? It's my joy to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Anthony Grant, and uh, the first time I realized that I needed God in my life was when my son was born. It's January 24th, 2013, and I was holding him, and I was looking at him, so in love with him, and I was thinking, Am I the type of man I want my son to be? And the answer was no. That's how I came to accept Jesus Christ and make a change in my life. The reason I want to be baptized is to show my son the steps that I'm following and hope one day that he'll follow the same. Because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, my name is Elizabeth. I started coming to New Spring um, when my eight-year-old daughter um, came home with an address on a little piece of paper from her teacher who had refer referred us here. I grew up through many churches. I started out with Catholic churches and um, growing up with my mom and then Seventh-day Adventist. Um, I never felt like I was anywhere that I wanted to be, so something that stuck with me um, throughout my adulthood was uh, something a pastor said that was um, I would know what church I belonged to when I felt it in my heart. So when I came to New Spring I felt that this was my home. I want to be baptized because I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior and I'm ready to show everybody that that's what I believe. My joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jacob, Jacob, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and now you want to follow Him? It's my joy to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm Aubrey Burnett. I was 12 when I first accepted Christ and it was a wonderful time for me. I would like to be baptized because I'm ready to rededicate myself to God and show the world how, how blessed I am and the reason I have those blessings is because God's provided them for me. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Andrew Burnett. Uh, my wife and I, two kids, we've been coming to New Spring for about three years. Um, I want to be baptized mainly for my family, for my children. You know, to show them that I believe Jesus died for me. You know, He died for us. Um, and that I'm, I'm choosing to put my trust and my faith in Him. That's awesome. Based on your public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ, it's my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is Ann. Ann, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, yes. and now you want to follow Him. Well, it's my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, my name is Tony Giamazzi, and I've been coming to New Spring for two years now, and uh, it's been a, been a real blessing for me coming here. I first realized I was a sinner as a child. 
But I never felt like I really had a relationship with God. It's really brought it out in the past two years, but it started about five years ago. I just had this incredible sense of God being in my life. And I took note of that. And uh, in the past few years, I really have felt him calling to me. I want to be baptized because I believe Jesus died for my sins. And I believe God's promises. And I want him to know that I accept his son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and personal Savior. That's awesome, Tony. It's my joy to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Megan Ugas, I realized that I was a sinner after Mark's um, teachings and that I could not save myself. I want to be baptized to show, you know, my family and the public that I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. Based on your public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ, it's my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hello, my name is Josh. I was raised in a Baptist church. Um, always knew I was a sinner. Um, but when I was 19, something happened and uh, just kind of really put it there that I knew God was a reality and he was really a part of my life. Um, I want to be baptized because it's a personal decision that I made um, to give up my way of thinking, my way of living, and just uh, living for God and allowing him to do what he wants to do with me. That's great. Well, based on your testimony, it's my joy to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm David Fry, and I accepted the Lord when I was about 12 years old, but it, I didn't make the decision to follow Christ because it didn't fit into my plan for my life. And, and, and I want to be baptized because I want to publicly confess or show that that I've decided, I've made the choice to follow Jesus, not just to say the sinner's prayer, but I've made the choice to follow Jesus. That's awesome. Based on your testimony, it's my joy to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Congratulations. to all these people that came public, came forward with their faith. It's, that's so exciting to all of us. We're so happy. We're going to continue to worship Jesus. Y'all stand up. Let's join with those people that were unashamed to profess their love to Jesus Christ. Let's do it through song together. Yeah. 
God a hand. All those people coming forward, professing their love for Jesus Christ, would y'all pray with me real quick? Father God, we thank you so much for this weekend and what it represents in people's lives, God. May we be encouraged by those that are unafraid, unashamed to profess their love, their faith, their belief in God and his son, Jesus Christ, God. May that encouragement allow us to have more of you in our lives, for you to overtake us, God, and be a light to the rest of the world. We thank you for our time in your house. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Thank you so much for being here. The ushers can go ahead and come forward at this time is when we take our offering. And why we do that, y'all, check out the screens and see what's happening here at New Spring. We all have questions about spiritual matters. Questions about God, Jesus, the Bible, the Christian worldview in general. But who can we ask? Most of the time we don't stop and talk about those things. But we all think about them at some point. Your questions about the Christian faith weren't developed in an instant. And you deserve more than a quick, one-sided answer. You have a story that led you here. Maybe an answer isn't even what you need. That's why we created a place where we can talk about it together. It doesn't matter where you stand, it doesn't matter where you're from. We just want to help you pursue those answers. And it starts with a conversation. Starting point.
You can be part of something big when you give to NewSpring, and it's never been easier. If you want to give by using your smartphone, just use your browser to visit newspring.org slash mobilegive. You can also give using your mobile device by downloading the Secure Give app. Just type Secure Give in the search bar of your app store and download it for free. You can always give when you're on campus by using a credit or debit card at one of our kiosks located around the building. If you'd like to give from home, visit newspring.org give where you can set up a one-time gift or an automatic recurring donation. Thank you for the enthusiasm. Appreciate it. You always need that one person to start. Get it thinking. started. Get yeah. It started. Yeah. Well, uh, we're doing things a little bit differently. If you haven't been here the last couple weeks, this is New Spring Live. Uh, it is uncut, unedited. Uh, I'm Jesse. You probably don't know me. And then uh, Jonathan is, is here. And is, uh, you like, are you saving your seat for Mark? Is he coming out? or? No, it's, it's me. Oh, okay. It's me. That's cool. That, are, uh, are you disappointed? No, no, I'm not disappointed. You do a great job. Uh -huh. I just, I thought, you know, uh -huh. last couple weeks with Mark, it's uh -huh. going super well. I thought maybe he'd ask me to speak when he's gone. Oh, you got something in mind? Well, I You've been working on a message? I have something I think would be very inspirational. It's right. about, about not giving your kids coffee before they come to Kids World. It's yeah, that really could work. very inspiring. Uh, really, I, like I think, it. cut to the heart of what we need to talk about. You know what I'm I saying? I like it. I would be convicted. Yeah. Well, we could crack open uh, we could crack open Song of Solomon. We never Let's get to that, do that in this Kids morning. World. You know? No. Uh, every once in a while, you, when you grow up at church like I have, you, you don't fear the question of having to talk with your kids. You feel your kids asking, hey, what song is Solomon about? It's the book that's missing. That's right. Uh, that's um, yeah, that's about music and goats. That's pretty much, that's that's the subject. Music and goats. Yeah. If you have the talk with about music and goats, um, it, your kids will be very confused. Anyways, I'll let you guys handle that. But um, uh, it is kind of fun. It really, I actually, I'm just kidding about Mark. I was in the last service. Did a great job. We got a tough question uh, to ask, and you're used to tough questions. Um, sort of, yeah. You know, you do a lot of stuff around here. Uh, if you didn't know ADD ran in the family, just look at Jonathan's job description. Because uh, he does a lot. Uh, you do live teams. Yes, I do. Um, you do, uh, you do, uh, you speak on the weekend, of course. Yes. Uh, and then also, you're, you're over music now, mm -hmm. and you're over the couple's ministry. Mm -hmm. And then few also, different, a few different things. A few different things. And then also, you counsel. Yes. Yeah, and so that's kind of, I mean, here's the thing. I've, I've been married two solid years. So, Sweet. Uh, Good for you. So Let's I've learned, give him a hand, yeah. all right, guys? Yeah, uh, I've learned a lot, like you pretty much know emotion, no matter how deep, or no right. conversation, no matter how difficult, right. can be avoided with a trip to Dairy Queen. Pretty much all that, yeah, it, it, whether I bring her or not, that's the question. That is the first time I've ever heard that before. But, yeah, I don't, uh, so I'll anyways, spread the word to some other couples. Yeah, too. absolutely, you can feel free to take that tip if you like. Right, But Thanks. the thing that worried me, um, it was that, you know, I'm a little nervous talking to counselors because you are thinking about what I'm saying right. and how it affects things. And so that right. part kind of made me nervous because I, I knew you were up. Right. What are you doing? So when did these feelings of intimidation first? No. Uh, we don't need to, we don't need to open the can of worms. I'll tell you what, uh, the, let's see question when, number three. When did how the about, avoidance uh, start? What's uh, that? I think the video's playing. Yeah, see, uh, well, let's see question number three. I'll see you guys later. We'll, we'll talk later, talk. okay? Yeah. Well, 
Well, hey, it's good to see all of you, and I don't usually do this, but I'm starting off the talk with an announcement this week, and that is just because I want you to remember the next week, because of the holiday weekend, our schedule's a little different, right? So um, there's no 8.15 or 5.30 Saturday service or 8.15 service uh, Sunday next week. So uh, just the three services next week, 4 o'clock Saturday, 9.45, and 11.30 on Sunday morning. So uh, anyhow, I just want to make sure I uh, let you know about that. And this week is a topic that I'm in a little bit of trouble with because I love this topic and it's very difficult to get me to shut up about it. And uh, so I have a, a very narrow window of a lot of time and so I have a lot of stuff to go through and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get through it well and I'll talk fast if you'll listen fast. Um, but we're going to talk about what I think, you know, I, I told the last service, I kind of get to play the role of Mythbuster here a little bit because... In this talk, we're going to be talking a little bit about a misconception that sort of crept its way into Christian culture about how to handle people who hurt you. And I think all of us have experienced uh, pain in relationships before. And I'm not talking about little stuff like somebody stole your parking space. If that happened to you, I'm really sorry. But I'm talking about major stuff, you know, things that leave big scars. And I think all of us have experienced that at some point in a relationship. And, and the question is really how to react to that. And we got tons of questions about this topic. Some of them had kind of personal details in them that we couldn't, you know, use in a question sort of in a public forum like this. So what I did was I tried to take parts and pieces of questions that people asked and kind of put them into one big question that we can talk about this week. So here it is. Question is this. I know that God wants me to forgive people that hurt me, but if someone continues to behave in a hurtful way, do I have to put up with it? What exactly does God expect from me? Shouldn't a hurtful person have to face the consequences of their behavior? That's a really, really good question. And the fact that the question is even being asked reflects the fact that, that our, our Christian culture, or those of us who are God followers, we can be a little confused about this, right? There's, I've heard speakers speak about this. I've, I've read books where, where there's really this sort of idea that Jesus has this, because of Jesus' unconditional love and Jesus' forgiveness for us, um, when a Christian is hurt by somebody, they should just sort of roll over and play dead and allow that person to continue hurting them in the same way, right? I would like to make a case for you this morning that that is not the case. And I want to make um, an argument this morning for balance, and how you approach the situation when someone hurts you. Um, and hopefully it'll be helpful as you move forward. A lot of practical information this morning. I hope it'll be helpful for you. So when people come to me with this sort of idea that, you know, I think from the Bible, it says that, you know, if somebody hurts you, you should just really not do anything about it. You should forgive and you should just kind of give them a lot of leash to run with and just see what happens, right? They usually point to one of three scriptures. Now, there are some other scriptures, but these are the main ones. And I just want to tackle these and really try to understand what the scriptures are trying to teach us in these passages, okay? So the first one is in Matthew 5. Jesus is teaching, and Jesus says this. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. And even if you don't have a lot of church experience, you've probably heard of the idea of turning the other cheek. It's become part of our cultural vernacular. People talk about that and use that as a verbiage for that concept, right? So that sounds a little bit like it supports the premise I was just saying I don't agree with. Now let's move to Matthew 18. This is Peter getting ready to speak to Jesus. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, you should know, uh, Peter felt very brilliant for asking this question. If you're in a college class and you know your professor is very interested in a specific field, you know, it's, you know what it's like. You research that field and you figure out the perfect question to ask, the question that, that's really going to make you look smart, right? That's what Peter was doing. By the way, if you're in a college class, it's also a great way to get the professor to forget that they're supposed to be administering a test, but that's another talk for another day. But so Peter's asking a question that hopefully is going to make him look really good, and I'll tell you why the religious people of Jesus' day had, had found this obscure reference in the prophets uh, of, of God forgiving people three times. And, and they took this really weird application out of that and said, well, if God only forgives people three times, which we know is not true, but, it, but, but they said, if God only forgives people three times, then no human being should be forced to forgive anybody more than God forgives somebody. So then therefore, what they taught was the first time somebody, you know, sins against you, you forgive them. Second time, you forgive them. Third time, you forgive them. Fourth time, you let them have it, right? And that was the way that they 
start, and it was actually pretty well outlined in their teachings, right? So Peter's heard this all his life, and he comes to Jesus and says, so if somebody sins against me, so how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? So notice he didn't just double the times that were being taught. He added one to it for good measure. So this should get him some brownie points, right? And uh, Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. For many of us, this is a familiar passage. And by the way, you should know that what Jesus is not saying is, no, you just need a bigger spreadsheet. You need more spots for check marks. Once you get to 491, then you let them have it. That's not what Jesus is saying, right? Jesus is saying, you just don't keep count, right? You continue to forgive. So you say, Jonathan, you're kind of making a case against your case. Well, we'll see about that. Luke 15 is the big story. This is the one that people really like to use. And I got to tell you, of all the parables in the the scripture and all the stories that Jesus told in the scripture, I think Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, is probably my favorite. And one of the reasons for that is because I do deal with relationships, you should know that there's probably no other story in the scripture that is as full of of awesome relationship truth as this story. We'll barely scratch the surface of the awesome applications we can learn from this story um, this morning. But here's how it goes. The Bible says a man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now don't read over that too fast. This is the youngest son coming to his father in a culture where there was supposed to be deep, deep respect for the parent. This youngest son comes to the dad and says, Dad, I've been watching and waiting for you to die, but you haven't died yet, and you don't appear to have any intention of dying soon. So I have places to go, things to do, friends to hang out with, and I would just assume you go ahead and give me whatever it is that I'm going to get whenever you die because I'm tired of staying around here waiting. And really, what he was more or less saying is, I'm ready to be done contributing to this family. I'm ready to sell short and withdraw my funds, right? A father with two sons, in, 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 in biblical times, that would have been a shorthanded family. You would have had all hands on deck. These guys would have been integrally, all three, the father and the two sons, would have been integrally related in managing the father's business. And now one-third of the business is saying, I think I'm done. I'm just going to let you two guys handle it, and I want, my, I, want, I want to pull out. I want my stuff. But the Bible says the father agreed. He split up the assets and gave his younger son what his, his portion. The Bible says a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, how many of us can testify to the fact the money will run out? A, grand, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And you should know, the fact that this guy hired uh, him to feed the pigs was really for the sake of a joke. I mean, to hire a, a, a young Jewish boy and send him out to feed the pigs was really, he did that so he'd have a conversation piece for friends when he had them over for dinner. It was a good joke to pull. Um, it, it was not because he needed to hire him. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. So he comes up with a plan. I will go home to my father, and I'll say this. So he's, got, he's going to put a speech together. Father, I have sinned against you, uh, both, have, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son, so please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, so now he's going to give a speech, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father doesn't let him finish the speech, he interrupts. The father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found, and so the party began. And so when people talk to me about this idea, well, the Bible seems to teach that there shouldn't be any kind of consequences for someone who kind of goes off the rails, this story is one they'll use. They say, look, the father welcomes the son right back. There's, there's no punishment. There is no, you know, there is no speech. The father doesn't let him have it. The father doesn't say, you can't come live here. It's, it seems as though there is there's just open arms, and, and I don't understand, you know, how you could think that, that Christians are supposed to do anything other than than to just roll over and play dead. 
Well, I'm, I'm going to get to that. But you should know that there is a, there's sort of a part B to this story. And in the second part of this story, we hear the perspective of the older brother. Now, the older brother might as well have texted in or written in the question that we're talking about this week. Because I think he's stuck in that position. After all, when the younger son left, it hurt him just like it hurt his dad. And he's, he's got to come to grips with the fact, well, well, you know, should this person get off scot-free or should they have to pay for what they've done wrong? And so this is what the older brother says. Uh, the Bible tells us the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. But the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But the, son, the oldest son replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, he won't even call him his brother, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. All right, so I told you that I believe there is a case in the scriptures for balance in how we approach someone who's hurt us. And here's the way I want you to think about it. These are the lenses through which we view these scriptures, right? There are two concepts that often get lumped together and they do not belong in the same cell, right? These are not the same concepts, but generally speaking, they get put together, right? One is retribution or retaliation, and the other one is consequences. They are not the same thing. They often get thought of as the same thing, but they are not the same thing. Retribution is an attempt to settle a score. It's an attempt to collect a debt, to make things right by fixing the person who's caused pain, generally by causing pain to them, right? Now, understanding that there's a difference between retribution and consequences, look with me back at that first verse that we talked about where Jesus talked about turning the other cheek. Look at how Jesus starts that conversation. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say do not resist an evil person. That word resist, if we go back to the original language, it means to take an aggressive stance towards. Basically, the word play here is if someone takes an aggressive stance towards you, do not take an aggressive stance towards them. What Jesus is speaking about is retaliation. John MacArthur said it very well. He said this verse is not so much about what you are to do as much as it is about what you are not to do. So Jesus is talking about the fact that retaliation is not a good thing. And we're going to talk about in a minute a few reasons why that's the case. But you should know there was a reason, by the way, that Jesus used the idea of a slap on the cheek above anything else. You should know that in the Jewish culture at this time, to slap someone on the cheek was unlike hitting them anywhere else on their body. To slap them on the cheek was culturally a dare to retaliate. It was the deepest kind of insult. It, it was basically, you know, in our culture, we would say somebody's asking for it. That is exactly what that was. Somebody's asking for you to come back at them. And what Jesus was doing is basically saying, in a situation where you think you have the biggest reason or the biggest excuse to retaliate, don't go there. Now, I told you that that's, that's retaliation. We're going to talk in a moment about why retaliation is a bad thing. But for a moment, let's, let's talk about the difference between retaliation or retribution and a consequence. A consequence is the natural outcome of an action or a behavior, right? It's not personal. It is just the natural outcome. I was um, uh, in the emergency room visiting a family member some time ago. And in this particular hospital, um, the emergency room just had curtains on the outside of each room. So, um, you know, every once in a while you hear things that because people's voices carry. And this guy went into this room next door and, and not to be grotesque, but his hand was all kind of messed up and bloody. And he was in there. He had this big, deep, booming voice. So I think everybody in the hospital heard him talking to the doctor. And he said to the doctor, he said, yeah, I kind of got mad and I punched a brick wall. And uh, he said, that wall sure did get even with me, you know, which is kind of funny because you think about it, no brick wall is out to get even with you, right? Nobody has ever joined the witness protection plan to get away from a brick wall, right? There, there is no evil intent inside a brick wall, but if you punch a brick wall, the nerve endings in your fingers will tell your brain that there are consequences for doing that, right? It is just a natural outcome of an action or a behavior, right? 
And so we're going to talk about, I hope you can tell at this point, what I'm going to make the case for in our talk today is that God never wants to use retaliation. God uses consequences to teach. There is a balance. There's a scale, right? And on the one side, there is retaliation. On the other side, there is doing nothing or blocking consequences. In the middle is God's perfect will, which is to cause consequences to come about to help people find their way back on track. And that is the balance we'll be talking about. But let me make a case for you really quickly about why retribution is a bad thing. And, and if you are a person who sometimes struggles with temper or anger, um, these things may be helpful to you to help cooler minds prevail in a time when you feel tempted to kind of come back at someone who's hurt you. Here's the first thing. Retribution is a bad thing because it keeps bad things happening in the relationship, right? Something bad has happened to you, and so in response, you do something bad back, right? It just keeps a cycle of bad things happening. Romans 12, 17 says this, never pay back evil with more evil. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So what the Bible's telling us is that there, the potential is there in retaliation to keep a cycle of evil going. And in Romans 12, 21, I think this verse is very key. It says, do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now, that word conquer there, do not let evil conquer you. It means to own you, to annex you, to, to, to basically take control of you. And how many of us have learned that when, when retaliation starts to take place, maybe you get into a fight with somebody verbally, you're in a fight with your spouse, and now it's really just about getting back at each other verbally. And once that starts to happen, you realize that you're acting out of character, it, you're saying things that really don't sound like you anymore, you're acting like somebody who really isn't the person that you are. Why? Well, that's because when that cycle of evil gets going, right, it begins to own you, and it begins to make you act like somebody else. So that is one of the reasons. Here's another one, and this kind of tags on to what I was just talking about. Retribution is emotional. It's not logical, so it can't be calibrated. Now, I have respect for emotions. As a matter of fact, in my work with couples, I tend to believe that emotions are primary. I always tell couples about their fights that emotion, that uh, logic didn't take the train to crazy town, emotion did. So we have to work through the emotions to understand what's going on. Um, so I'm huge into un trying to understand and, and, and interpret emotions, but let me tell you what, there are a few areas of your life where you do not want emotions in the driver's seat, and this is one of those areas. Because emotions, retaliation is all about emotion, and it cannot be calibrated. Remember what Jesus said, you have heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What is he saying? He's saying, as long as the, as, as long as the repayment matches the offense. But let me tell you something, with human beings, you can never be sure that it matches. You can never be sure, because retaliation tends to be over the top, generally speaking, because we can't calibrate it, right? Okay, here's, here's the next one, and this is a big one. Because retribution will not change the other person. Mark it down, put an exclamation point after it, underline it twice. Retribution never changes anybody. And because, and, and, and this, is, this is the key here, you can never control anybody into productive change. You just can't. Anytime anybody actually changes and they really change, it has to be their idea. It has to start with them, right? So this is, this is so key. So many of us think, I'll sh you know, that's, that, that's our cultural phrase, right? I'll show them, right? Once I, once I show them how things are, then they'll come around. doesn't work that way. It's got to be their decision. Look at Luke 15, back in our story. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. How many of us have experienced consequences in our life? And we have learned that consequences will make you look at the world differently. I guarantee you, pig food did not look good to him when he was living at home before. Pig food did not look good to him when he was hanging out with his friends and spending lots of money. But now that he's experienced some productive consequences in his life, pig food actually looks pretty good. And I will tell you this, when he gets home, he will never look at a loaf of bread the same way he did before. You know what I mean? Everything looks different. And then the Bible says, when he finally came to his senses, I love that phrasing, because it's saying it's his idea. Came from the inside. He experienced some productive consequences and all of a sudden the idea to change doesn't come from dad. It doesn't come from the outside. The idea to change comes from the inside and that's where real change happens. He says, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I'm dying of hunger. And then the four most beautiful words in the Bible, I will go home. Okay, here's the biggest thing. Here's the biggest reason why retribution is a bad idea. The temptation for retribution is Satan's way of trying to get you to do God's job. 
See, if you, if you think back, how did, how did Satan end up getting thrown out of heaven in the first place? Well, it was because he wanted to do God's job, remember? He said, I will ascend to the heavens, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take over, right? And, and, you know, God was not much intimidated by Satan, he just thumped him out of heaven. But the, the key here is that I believe Satan now interferes with our lives by trying to get us to do God's job for him in a lot of ways. But this is one in particular, right? What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that God has said he will take care of settling scores. He will take care of making things right. But sometimes there is a sense within that says my sense of justice is better than God's sense of justice. And whenever that happens, right, that is, uh, that's a bad thing. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to give you a grid for understanding the difference between consequences and retaliation. How do I know whether um, my response in this case um, is tied into some sort of consequence that God is bringing about, or whether this is just me wanting to retaliate against somebody? Well, here's a couple things. Number one is retaliation is always a me thing. It is about satisfying my sense of justice. It is about making me feel better, and it is about what is fair, right? Um, by the way, how many of us understand that God never promised us fair on this earth? The moment this world became a broken place, fair was out of the question, right? But that is what retaliation is about. Retaliation is about making me feel better, and it's about what's fair. Consequences is a them thing, right? Consequences are all about God giving that person a chance to see the error of their ways, to have the opportunity to make a life change, to understand that there is a window of opportunity for them to turn around from a life of rebellion and to make make a productive life change, right? And it is about what is best. See, God is not concerned, at least for now, about what is fair nearly as much as he's concerned about what is best. And so in this story, what what God is saying is it was best that at some point, even though the father would have been sad to know what all his son lived through in the far off country, it was best for the son to experience what it took for him to decide it was time to turn around and go home. The Bible tells us that consequences are God's way of nudging behavior back on track. Look at this verse in Hebrews 12. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. I grew up in the Hoover home and I can attest to that. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Right? That last part of the verse gets left out a lot when people talk about God's discipline. Right? They, they, they talk about the first part of the verse, but the second part is what's important. Why is God disciplining us? Even, you know, we're his children. Why would God, you know, discipline us? So the Bible calls it chastening. Why would God do that? Well, the Bible is very clear because he wants to train us. He wants to show us the most productive way to live. See, consequences are about giving a rebellious person a chance to change their mind. By the way, when the Bible talks about repentance, that's exactly what the Bible means. The word that we get repentance from in the scripture just means to change your mind to make a decision to turn around, right? Now, so what, what I'm saying is that, that God is teaching us that there is no room for retribution, but there is room for consequences. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we get this one mixed up, right? Instead of saying no to retaliation and yes to consequences, we say no to consequences and yes to retaliation. I was at Dylan's the other day in the self-checkout lane, which I figure that probably means that I'm antisocial. I don't know. I figure that's probably the only reason I would be in the self-checkout lanes, just because I don't, you know, let me get in and out of the store without saying a word to anybody. But in any case, I'm checking out, and there's this gal, you know, uh, at, the, at the lane next to me, and she's got a, a kid with her, you know, six or seven years old, I suppose. And as she's checking out, he grabs a Snickers bar. I saw him grab it, right? And, and they're walking towards the door. She's all done checking out. They're walking towards the door, and she sees that he grabbed a Snickers bar, right? And she lets him have it. And you know a mother's voice carries. And just lets him have it, you know. And I thought, well, I suppose that's one way of approaching it. And, and then she takes the Snickers bar. She goes back to the checkout stand. She scans the Snickers bar, puts it in the bag, gives it to the kid. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I'm guessing that there is trouble headed for that household because that is not the way the world is supposed to work. But how many times does it work that way in our relationships? We use our emotions to retaliate, but we do not cooperate with God's plan for consequences. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That kid is going to be one confused guy when he's 17 and a policeman pulls him over for doing 75 in a 55 mile an hour zone. Because that policeman is not going to come up to his window and go, ah, and scream and yell at him. 
and then say, all right, just go, right? No, what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen. The policeman's going to go up to his window, and he's going to say, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? Well, that's a question I don't like to hear. Do you, do you know why I pulled you over? And then he's going to write him a ticket. And then what's he going to do? Have a nice day. Anyhow. But let me tell you something. That is the way God designed this world to work. God designed this world to work not with retaliation, but with consequences. Why? Because it shapes our view of the world, and it gives us an opportunity to make course corrections so that we can live a productive life. And in our relationships, we need to cooperate with the fact that God is at work doing that sort of thing. That's where the needle points in the center, right? See, there are two responsibilities in any relationship where somebody's been hurt. For the offender, the responsibility is to accept the consequences of their behavior. For the person who's been offended, the responsibility is to make sure there is no retaliation in the consequences. There's got to be a gut check. There's got to be a heart check. Where is my heart? Am I trying to get back at them? Is that what this is about? Or is, is this about me not getting in the way of God's consequences for their behavior? Because that is where we have to put our concern. Our concern has got to be where do I find the balance in the situation? And I say that because for some folks in this room, this is a tough topic for you. And it's not tough because your needle tends to point towards retaliation. It's not tough because you tend to be hot-tempered because you don't. You, you're kind of on the other side of the spectrum. You tend to be a little bit of a rescuer, right? You, you, you tend to gravitate towards people who have messes in their lives, and you sort of find purpose by cleaning up those messes. You tend to root for the underdog. You, you, you find somebody who really needs you, and then, and then you're there for them, and that's kind of the way that you've gone about things in life. And let me tell you what. The fact that you are a rescuer means that God has placed in you a very soft heart, a very soft heart, and that is awesome. I mean, would to God that everybody was that way, but let me tell you what, you have to guard that heart because it will get you hurt in relationships very quickly, right? I mean, you read the story of the prodigal son and you're breaking out into hives because you're thinking, there's all these points where you don't understand. Number one, why does the father let the son leave? Why does the father give the, the, the money to the son and let him leave? If you don't give him the money, he can't leave, and then at least he'll stay home and he'll finally come to his senses and someday he'll you know, live a productive life. And then when he does let him leave, you're thinking, why does he let him go away? Why doesn't he go chase him down and say, I may give you the money, but you're at least going to have to stay at home. And then when the son is in the far off country and you read in the story about him wishing he could eat the, the, the pods he was feeding to the pigs, man, that really pulls on your heartstrings. And you're wondering, why does the father not swoop in and come get him and bring him home and allow him to come to his senses? Why doesn't he do that? And then when the son finally returns home, you have a lump in your throat and you think, wow, this is a really great story because at least it ends well. At least everything ends as well as it started. But I have to tell you, it doesn't end as well as it started. I want to take you to probably what I think is the most under, underreported aspect of this story. That's in verse 31. This is when the father is talking to the oldest son. And the father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is what? Yours. Help me with this math problem. If everything the father has belongs to the older son, how much belongs to the younger son? Zero. See, that's the thing. If your needle tends to point towards blocking consequences, the thing you have to understand is that when a person lives in a rebellious lifestyle or when they choose to live in such a way as to cause pain to other people, there's always a price tag. And you are not responsible to somehow come up with or regenerate or recreate what they have squandered in the process of rebelling. See, that's what the, the father could not make that inheritance reappear out of nowhere. He could celebrate when the son came home. He could wrap his arms around the son and say, I'm so glad that you're home. He, he, he could accept his son's request for forgiveness. He could forgive. He could say, I do not hold it against you. You do not owe me anything. You, there, is, there is no debt. But what he could not do is give back what the son squandered because it was gone. I remember talking to a couple not too long after I came to New Spring. And uh, this uh, husband and wife, the, the wife had been in a previous marriage. In the previous marriage, she'd been married to a guy who cheated on her several times, and they'd gone to counseling and, and, and tried to work it out. And he basically said, I'm, I'm not going to change my lifestyle. 
And uh, so the marriage ended. Um, after a few years, she found the gentleman that she was with, a great, great guy, and they had a great marriage. And all of a sudden, one day, ex-husband pops up from out of nowhere. And he says, guess what? I've come, I, I now have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything is really great in my life. I've turned over a new leaf, and everything is wonderful. And by the way, I really would like you to leave this new guy that you're with, because after all, I saw you first. And I'd like you to come back and be married to me. And I'd like us to get back everything we used to have. And it really confused her. And it was really difficult because her needle tends to point this way. And I took her to this verse. Because you are not responsible to restore what someone squanders in a, in a, in a period of rebellion. That's just part of life. It is a consequence. It is a natural outcome of an action or a behavior. And let me, let me tell you what. The father and the prodigal son. Now, this is just a parable. It's not an actual story. It's a, it's a sermon illustration that Jesus used. The father and the prodigal son is, is, is a figure of God. Jesus is telling this with the idea that, that the father in, this, in the story is, is uh, um, you know, an image of, of God. Notice the father does not block the son from leaving. He does not go chase him down and bring him home, and he does not drag him home, because all of those things would have been going away from the consequence that was eventually going to help this person change their mind and make a productive change. So, how do I know whether what's in what my response is how do I know whether my response is retaliation or consequence if you have to justify it it's probably retaliation if you have to come up for with a reason for why it's okay it's it's probably retribution but if it's something you have to block chase or drag you're probably getting in the way of a consequence and I want to tell I want to tell you this just as gently as I possibly can because Lord knows the last thing I would ever want to do is hurt anyone's feelings but I have to tell you this just as the person who retaliates against someone who hurts them is playing God, the person who blocks a consequence is kind of doing the same thing. Why? Because God is using consequences to teach. He's using them as a window of open opportunity. See, there is a pattern when it comes to rebellion. And Jesus understood this, and that's what Jesus was teaching. There is a pattern. There is the act of rebellion. There is a season of consequences, an opportunity to recognize that I need to come to my senses. And then there is the opportunity for change. And if that person takes that opportunity, then there can be a celebration. And I say that because the last thing I want to leave you with is I just want to leave you with the encouragement to resist the temptation to ever give up on somebody. Even when they've hurt you, even when they've hurt people that you love, don't give up on the fact that they could turn around. They, when they experience consequences, now they might fight those consequences and just be just as stubborn and stupid as they were in the first place, but someday they might listen to those consequences and they might turn around, and then if they do, then celebrate with them. Doesn't mean you have to restore them, but be happy for them, because it is a huge thing when someone turns around. You say, Jonathan, I can't imagine that you're encouraging me to be happy for someone in my life that's hurt me the way that they have if they were to turn around and go to God. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that the angels rejoiced when I came to Jesus Christ. If the angels in heaven who've got nothing on their rap sheet can rejoice when a messed up guy like me comes to Jesus Christ, I think any of us can rejoice for anybody who decides to make a U-turn and do the right thing even after they've lived a period of their life where they haven't done the right thing. Right? Because let me tell you what, anybody can change. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you love us and that you care for us and that anybody can change. We thank you for the fact that you are at work in people's hearts. You draw people towards yourself and that, Father, you know how to get our attention. We, it's ultimately our choice, but, Father, thank you for the fact that you do know how to get our attention. Now, I ask for everyone in this room who's been hurt, who bears a battle scar, a wound, that you would be with them as they navigate the waters of trying to stay away from retaliation, but also not to block the consequences that you've placed in that other person's life. I pray that you would give them peace and understanding and wisdom as they take it one day at a time and one step at a time. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. I told you my favorite words in that story is the words when the prodigal son said, I will go home. And it could be that you're in this room and you would say, you know what, it's time for me to go home. I've, I've lived away from God for quite some time. I've been in that far off country for quite a while and I think I've come to my senses and I want to go home. If that's you in this room right now, I, I want to help you make that decision. I want to help you reach out to God. So I'm going to say the words to a very simple prayer. And these are words that you can just say to God silently in your head. You don't need to say it out loud, but you can say these words to God. And if you do, it'll be settled once and for all. Ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you gave your life for me.
I know that I do wrong things. I know that I can't get to heaven on my own. I'm tired of living away from you. I want to come home. I ask you to make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you can look this way. If you just prayed that prayer, we have something we'd like to give you. We put together a packet of some materials. We just want to give it to you so you can get started in your new relationship with God. You can take that talk to us card that you got when you came in. Check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Take it to guest services, and uh, they'll make sure you get that packet, all right? Thank you so much for being here. We have a couple more weeks of New Spring Life. See you next week.